Well, today we continue in our study of James, and I'm sure you can agree with me that it's been lovely to go slowly through a book of the Bible and to really study it, to let the Lord speak to our hearts. A week ago, we were in the Kruger National Park, and uh, in their map book, they had a little note that said the following. It said, drive shorter distances and slower, and you will see more. You see, the temptation when you go to the Kruger Park is to travel right up and right down and to the east and to the west and to try and see as much as you can. But it's true what they said. Sometimes when you just choose a small loop and you drive it really slowly and carefully, you see far more. And there's times when we read the Word and we read large portions of Scripture and we read a whole story in the Bible and it feeds our soul. But there's other times where we take just a few verses, like we're going to do today, just 10 verses, and we study them, and somehow the Word changes us from the inside out as the Holy Spirit moves. Let us pray. Lord, we want to thank you for your wonderful Word. Your Word never returns void. As we spend some time reading and pondering on these few verses in James, will you come by your Holy Spirit and speak into our hearts. Sanctify us. Make us holy by your truth. Your word is truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please turn with me to James chapter 4. We're going to read the first 10 verses, and I'm reading from the New International Version. James chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. We thank the Lord for his word. If I had to title this message, I would title it, Warnings and Callings for Holy Living. Warnings and Callings for Holy Living. We are warned in this scripture against fights and quarrels. And we are warned against friendship with the world. And we are warned against pride. At the same time, through these verses, we are called to humility. 
We are called to submit ourselves to God and to resist the devil. And we are called to draw near to God with clean hands and a pure heart. Now, it's a wonderful thing when God the Father warns us of things because it reveals His heart for us. We serve a loving God. He cares for us. And when He warns us, it's because He knows that this thing will harm us. You know, any good father amongst us will warn his children of things that would cause harm. And God the Father is exactly the same. So when we read portions of Scripture like this, we need to read it from a deep sense of his heart, where he's saying, I'm warning you of this because it's going to harm you. And in the same way, when God calls us to things that he knows will bless us, it's because his heart towards us is so good. It's so loving. And he's saying, if you live out these things, it's going to bless your life. It's going to enrich your life. And this is the God that we serve. So my first point is a warning against fighting and quarreling. Here's a question to start off with. When was the last time that you fought or quarreled with someone? Can you remember what it was about? More than likely, it was a conflict between what you wanted and what they wanted. Let me read the first two verses of James 4 again, this time from the New Living Translation. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. You know, there are things that should be like warning lights to us. Just like when that petrol light in your car comes on and it warns you, you're getting close to empty, or if the temperature gauge shoots into the red and you realize, well, I'm in trouble here. And this text highlights two warning lights. Firstly, it speaks about evil desires in our hearts or selfish desires in our hearts. So when we examine ourselves and we pick up an evil desire or a selfish desire, it's like a warning light. And the second one is being jealous or coveting what other people have. And when we find ourselves being jealous of others or coveting what other people have, it should be like a warning light to us. Can you remember the story of Cain and Abel? We read about them in Genesis chapter four. And here we have the third and the fourth persons that ever walked on planet earth, Cain and Abel. And we read how Abel kept flocks and Cain worked with the soil. And in due course, both of them brought an offering to the Lord. So I'm reading from Genesis 4, verse 4 and 5, and this is what we read. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Can you see the warning light starting to flash for Cain? He was jealous, and anger began to fill his heart. So the Lord speaks to Cain, and he says the following in the next few verses of Genesis. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, Sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. What a warning 
from our Heavenly Father who loved Cain. And yet we know the story, and we know that Cain didn't heed this warning, and he went out and he killed his brother. Quarrels and fights are always harmful. And the Lord is warning us in the same way that he warned Cain, and he's saying to us, check your heart, check your heart, and rule over any sinful or selfish desires that you find there. Guard against jealousy. Don't covet what other people have. You know, even the, desi- the disciples were rebuked when they were quarreling. We read in Luke chapter 22 how at the Last Supper, there was a dispute between them. Now, I don't know if you've ever realized, but that dispute they had about who would be the greatest, it took place at the Last Supper around this very special table. So here they are in this holy moment. Jesus is spending his last bit of time with them before dying for the sins of the world. And here the disciples are jealous of each other. And they have a dispute. They are quarreling about who will get the most recognition. Friends, we are warned in God's word against fights and against quarrels. Let's see these things as warning lights. And when we see them, let's take heed to these warnings and receive them as an indicator from our loving Father. So the second warning that I'd like to highlight is a warning against friendship with the world. I'm reading from James 4, verse 2, the second part of verse 2 until verse 5. Let's just look at this scripture again. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers. You know, sometimes the word is quite hectic. It's quite strong. I mean, this line is a hard line to even read. You adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate that the, script, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. Have you ever taken note of that little verse that I've just read? It says this. They say that God is passionate that the spirit he has placed within us is faithful to him. It's been mentioned a few times in this series that James was the brother of Jesus and that he was one of the leaders in the early church in Jerusalem. Now, in the book of Acts, we read about Stephen being martyred. It's in Acts chapter 8. And uh, I don't know if you know, but after Stephen was martyred, there was a great persecution of the church, and the believers were scattered throughout the Roman world. And here we see James writing a letter to these believers that have been scattered, and he writes from a pastor's heart that wants to protect them. And he wants to warn them because the Roman world was notoriously corrupt. It was notoriously worldly. And he said to them, he said, you must be careful of staying faithful to God and not loving the things of this world. And I think this warning is a warning to us as believers today. You know, we live in a very, very secular world. If you work in a business or in a corporate 
I'm sure that you have encountered people there who are very eager and ambitious for promotion and power and wealth. If you happen to work in a government department or a state-owned enterprise, you know, we're so well aware that many of these organizations are creaking, they're groaning due to the greed and the corruption that is so widespread. Not to mention the music industry or the movie industry or the advertising industry where every message is a message that promotes a lifestyle of self-gratification and of pleasure. You can just watch any movie nowadays. That is what the message is. Self-gratification and pleasure. Friends, the Lord has always called His people to be set apart, to be different, to be holy. And here in the book of James, we as God's children are called to pursue friendship with God and to shun friendship with the world. As a church, our theme for the year is, Lord, teach me to pray. And this text in James also warns us against friendship with the world because of the disastrous effect it has on our prayer lives. Let's read James 4, verse 2 to 3 again. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. So friends, here is another warning on the dashboard of our lives. It's another warning light. When we find ourselves not praying at all, it's a warning light. We're busy with our own activities and we just carry on and we make our own plans and we don't pray. It's a big warning light. And another warning light is when we examine our prayers and we find out that all our prayers are focused only on what will give us pleasure. It's a warning light. Let me ask you a question. What do you want from life? What do you want from life? Don't you think about that question? Maybe allow yourself to answer it in your minds. You see, the answer to that question would be determined greatly by how old you are. It's true. A 20-year-old is going to answer that question very differently to a 70-year-old. If I went to Claudio and a young adult meeting and I asked this question, I'd hear a whole lot of answers. And if I went to one of the seniors tea with Brother Philip, I would hear a whole bunch of other answers. I once heard a story that was shared in a sermon about a student who was studying law. And he had just started and he went to go meet with the professor of law at that university and he had a meeting with him. And the professor asked him this question and said, you know, what do you want to do when you finish your legal studies? He said, well, I hope that I will be accepted at the bar. And then, said the professor, well, I hope I'll get some good cases and be able to establish a name for myself. And then, well, I hope I will get promoted. And then, you see, the professor was a godly man, and uh, he was asking these and then questions very intentionally. Well, I hope to get married and to have a family. And then? Well, I hope to go through life and become very successful. And then? Well, I suppose I will retire one day. And then? 
You see, because after retirement, whether it's short or whether it's a long period of time, after retirement, some point, the day of death will come. And although this young man was still very young and only starting out on his studies, this is what the professor was trying to get him to think about. You see, at the end of it all, no matter how wealthy and prosperous we have become in terms of the things of this world and material things, at the end of it all, we will have to leave them. The material things will be of no consequence. There's a very important scripture in 1 John 2, verse 15 to 16. It says the following. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. God always answers prayer. Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, and sometimes he says wait. But he always answers prayer. And when we, as God's children, have overstepped the line and have entered into friendship with the world in some way, God in his mercy and his grace often says no. When we pray for the lusts of the eyes and the lusts of the flesh and the pride of life, we should be so grateful when our Heavenly Father declines our requests. But in the same breath, when we pray to our Heavenly Father who loves us and we pray for those things that are in line with His will for our lives, then we can receive and enjoy the many gifts, the many blessings that he pours into our lives. Because we read in James 1, verse 17, just a few weeks ago, that every good and every perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change. So my third point is a warning against pride. Now, I only want to touch briefly on this point. And uh, James 4, verse 6, it says, God opposes the pride. God opposes the pride, but gives grace to the humble. The Amplified Bible says, God sets himself against the proud and the haughty, but gives grace continually to the lowly, to those who are humble enough to receive his grace. One of the most powerful examples of pride versus humility is found in the contrast between King Saul and King David. At the beginning of Saul's reign as king, he also was very humble and very obedient to everything that the Lord asked him to do. But as the years passed, he became increasingly proud and he disobeyed God on several occasions. You know, there's a warning here for us who have walked for long and many years with the Lord to continue to stay humble. He resisted correction. And he showed only remorse. He didn't show real heartfelt repentance when he disobeyed. And we read how the Lord opposed Saul, and then he ordained for David to be anointed as the next king. 
Now, David, on the other hand, we meet him in the fields as a young man, and he's a humble man. There's nothing that draws us to him. God just looked at his heart. And we see David throughout his life being incredibly humble, very obedient to anything God asked him to do. And when he sinned, when he fell, we see someone getting on his face before the Lord with heartfelt and sincere confession, with real repentance. And in his latter years, David really served the Lord with all of his heart. Now, I have, a t- I have a book, and the book is quite a special little book. It's titled The Secret of a Radiant Life, and I'm sure some of you have got one or two books that are like your favorites. Now, this one is a real one of my favorites, a special one. It's written by William Sangster. It's an old book, and uh, he's got a chapter on pride. And here's a couple of statements from this book. They'll be on the screen. Many of us are full of self-esteem. We are vain inflated and proud. Pride is the deadliest disease of the soul. It builds barriers, it creates wars, and it aims to elbow God out of his own world. It can poison the virtues. Let me tell you, if you are someone who wants to serve others and care for others and be generous, and then you're proud of how well you're serving and caring and generous you are, it just poisons that virtue. And it makes the other vices still more vicious. You know, it's one thing if you are greedy, but if you are proud about how greedy you are, it just takes it to a whole new level of badness, if that is a word. From his conception to his crucifixion, Christ's life was all humility. He actually washed his disciples' feet. So we have three warnings. We have a warning against fights and quarrels. We have a warning against friendship with the world. And we have a warning against pride. (coughs) Family of God, let's heed this warning. Let's receive it as a warning from our loving Heavenly Father who wants us to live blessed lives. Point number four, a calling to humility. Back to James chapter four, verse six. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He gives grace, he gives grace, he gives grace, he gives grace. Who to? To the humble. The Bible describes humility as meekness, as lowliness, as an absence of self. Humility is a heart attitude of dependence on God and of obedience to Him. The world often sees humility and selfless living as weakness. Strength and self-confidence and achievements are praised by the world. Well, the world might not esteem humility, but God the Father does. And in His kingdom, things are very often turned upside down. Can you remember this verse in Matthew 20, verse 16? The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Jesus is our greatest example of humility. And in Matthew 20, verse 28, he said, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is how he lived. God opposes the pride, but gives grace to the humble. And I don't know about you, but I need God's grace. I need God's grace. When I read through chapters like this in James, and as we've actually been going through the whole of James, there's quite often verses that you go, hey, no, sure, Lord, I'm not, I'm not cutting out on that one. And uh, I know that I need God's grace in order to heed the warnings and in order to obey the callings. In Micah 6 verse 8, there's a beautiful verse that so resonates with my spirit. It says the following. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. I heard this verse for the first time when I was in uh, university and we went on a student Christian association camp down to the Cape. And while we were there, this scripture was the focus of the weekend of the camp. And uh, we actually sang this scripture. They, had, they converted it into a little song and we would sing it. I said to the guys in the first service that if I was John, or if I was Fritz, or if I was Judah, I would sing it for you. But let me just read it for you again at this moment. Let this word just sink in. It's a beautiful, beautiful scripture. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to act justly? That means to live righteously. And to love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. Point number five. A calling to submit to God and resist the devil. In James 4 verse 7 we read, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know, as believers in Jesus, as children of the living God, we have an adversary. He is the devil. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren and the thief who has come to steal, to kill, and destroy. And 1 Peter 5 verse 8 confirms this. It says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for who he can devour. Now, on one of our drives in the Kruger National Park, we were driving, and next minute down the road, here we see three lionesses and a little cub walking down the road straight towards our car. Now, we had just been watching three or four kudu, and we were watching them, and the next minute we see these lions spot the kudu. I mean, they completely ignored us. It was as if our car wasn't even there. And these lionesses were focused and they were dangerous. And the next minute, they took off after this kudu. But fortunately, these kudu were self-controlled and alert and they escaped. <laughs> now, my son Colin was greatly delighted in that and he's definitely on the side of the non-predator. But the Bible tells us that the lion prowls, the, the, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for who he can devour. We need to get this picture in our minds because he wants to look for those who are weak and frail and not submitted to God. Now, most of us know, and we quote the first part of James chapter 4, verse 7 that says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We quote it, we know this verse. And we do need to do this. We need to resist his temptations. 
When the devil wants to tempt us to do something that we know we shouldn't do, we need to say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And we need to resist his temptations. And we need to resist his lies. When the devil speaks into our heart and he says, you're unworthy, you can't do that, you're not able, you're sinful, then we need to say, no, I'm washed by the blood of the Lamb, I'm a child of the living God, I'm redeemed. I can worship God. We need to resist his lies. But I've often found that when people are facing spiritual attack, they can spend a lot of time focusing on the devil and on resisting him. And very little time on the first part of James 4 verse 7, which says the following. Submit yourselves then to God. You see, this is where our protection comes from. This is where our strength lies. Amen. Jesus demonstrated this for us. Jesus, he showed us this. He was perfectly submitted to his father. And when the devil tempted Jesus... Jesus was neither afraid, nor was he caught off guard. The devil tempted Jesus with the lust of the eyes, with the lust of the flesh, and with the pride of life, the very same things that he tempts us with. And Jesus resisted him with the word of God, and the devil had to flee. Can I suggest that the next time you feel under attack, that you spend time with the Lord in His Word. Just enjoy God. Read about what God says about you. Focus on the Lord. Focus on the Lord's strength and on His love and on His power. And then ask the Holy Spirit to reveal any area of your life that you need to resubmit to the Lord, that you may need to repent of. And then submit to Him. Because it's from this place that you can resist the devil and he will flee. I don't know if you've noticed, but the whole of the Lord's Prayer is based on the fact that we are submitted to God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will, not my will, thy will be done. Thy kingdom come, not my kingdom. And all the armor in Ephesians 6 that we use to withstand the enemy is also based on being submitted to God. It speaks about the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We cannot wield the sword unless we are submitted to Him. If we are pursuing worldly passions and walking in deliberate disobedience to God's Word, we are far more vulnerable to the enemy's attacks. My final point is a very brief one, and it's a calling to draw near to God with clean hands and a pure heart. Now I'm going to read James 4, verse 8 to 9 to you from the Living Bible. Allow this to wash over you. And when you draw close to God, God will draw close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and let your hearts be filled with God alone to make them pure and true to Him. Let there be tears for the wrong things you have done. Let there be sorrow and sincere grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. When you feel far from God, it's important to note that He hasn't gone anywhere. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's always with us. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. But our sense of His closeness, our sensitivity to His presence, our ability to hear His voice 
is impacted when we have become worldly. And the antidote to worldliness is repentance. Real, heartfelt repentance. When was the last time that you have wept before the Lord with anguish because of something that you did that you deep down know that you shouldn't have done? There's a beautiful promise in 1 John 1 verse 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, when we do that, God in his grace, there's grace for the humble. In his grace, he comes and he washes us and he cleanses us. And that intimacy in our relationship with him is restored. And that joy in our walk with him is restored. Now, in closing, there's someone in the Bible who provides us with a wonderful example of drawing near to God. And his name is Daniel. Can you remember how three times a day Daniel would get on his knees and pray? And the Bible tells us what he prayed for. You can read it in Daniel chapter 6. He prayed for two things. He would get on his knees and he'd, firstly he would thank God and secondly he would ask God for help. If in your day, in your average day, you find yourself so busy that the end of the day comes and you've hardly had a time to spare a thought for God, let alone a prayer, then maybe this is the first area that you need to repent of and say, Lord, I'm sorry. And then to draw near to him and to let him draw near to you. Let us pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your Father's heart which is towards us. We thank you for your love and that you warn us because you love us. And we thank you, Lord God, for your love and for the callings that you have for us to walk in the things that will bless our lives. So, Father, I just pray for your people, for our church. I pray that you will help us to heed the warning signs, the fights and the quarrels, that we will not fall into friendship with the world or into pride, and that you will protect us against those things. And then, Lord, I pray that you will help us to choose to walk in humility, to submit to you and to resist the devil, and then to draw near to you on an ongoing basis and to enjoy the way you draw near to us. In Jesus' name, amen.